Oh, Christmas. All this happiness. I don't like it. People would stomp and cheer when it was over, and I would think, that's my song, man. I'm building this bridge over troubled water for you and also for me. I am offering myself and my music, my art, as a bridge over troubled water. Oh, he's the bridge. Oh! There are no new words under the sun. There are no new notes I have left to hum. There are no new rhymes yet to be sung. There are no new chords that strings haven't strummed. Hello and welcome to another episode of Unreliable Narrators where we discuss media, literature, and the arts and how they relate to Christ, the self, and the world. I'm Raymond Docapel. And I'm Sophie Merry Palmerans. Christmas, Sophie. Merry Christmas, Sophie. Merry Christmas, How you Raymond. doing on this fine, well, it's not Christmas yet, but we're releasing it on Christmas, so I'm going to pretend. How are you doing on this fine Christmas morning? I am doing so well. <laughs> uh, it is snowing outside. Well, actually, it's not snowing anymore, but there was snow. And you experienced this too. It was all, there was uh, snow everywhere, and then it got really cold, and then it all froze over, and... Got really scary it's and slippery. A, it's basically iced. It iced. It didn't snow. I actually haven't seen anything like it before, but when I walked outside, you just, like, slide down the hill. We could basically go ice skating out in the cul-de-sac right now. So, it's pretty crazy. Uh, it's quite unique weather, at least for us Washingtonians. And we can't yeah. we can't leave the house at all. I think that that's probably one of my favorite things about bad weather is that I, I don't I don't usually want to leave the house, but now I don't have to feel guilty because I can't. There tends to be, for I don't know why, but for our family, there tends to be something that traps us in our house at Christmas. For the past couple of years, it's been everybody getting COVID. This year, nobody has COVID, but the weather makes it kind yeah, of difficult I don't know leave. about you. This is weird, but I guess recently I've been thinking about Christmas a lot because I've been thinking about how much I love Christmas. You know, and there was, I guess, a time, I guess, a little bit of an emo phase in my teenage years when, like, I was sort of a Grinch, where I was like, oh, Christmas, why is it like this? All this happiness, I don't like it. Um, but I've, I've sort of changed my mind about it over the years. I've come back around to loving Christmas. But then I had to think about, like, why is it? What's so great about Christmas? Because... I have to admit, like, I guess, theologically speaking, if we're talking in religious terms, theologically speaking, Easter is the more important holiday, right? This and and I And, I, I, and um, I guess there's sometimes there's a little bit of guilt tripping going on. Be like, well, why do we care so much about Christmas but not about Easter, you know? But I think that there's a reason why that there's, a, there's, a, there's this emotional connection with Christmas, that there's a sort of special feeling or aura about it. And I want to know what it is. So I, I want to ask you, what what is it about? Do you get the sort of feeling about like the specialness of Christmas? Like, do you, do you share this love for Christmas that I do? And if so, what is it about Christmas that you love? I do. Um, I think part of it is being with people and seeing people that I don't see most of the time throughout the year people get a break on Christmas, whether you're in school or I'm teaching, so I get the same break that my students do. But even if you're not, like, you usually get a few days off around Christmas. And so people being together, I think, is a huge part of what does it for me. But also, there's something really special about it being 
an expectation to give things to people. Um, like my little brother Ransom, he's the one with Down syndrome. He, every year, <laughs> gets a gift for everyone. He goes to the dollar store and one of our parents will take him around and say, okay, Ransom, find a gift for, and tells him who to get a gift for. And at the beginning, he does a good job. <laughs> He'll find things that are actually have something to do with the person. And sometimes they're not actually good gifts, but they always are tailored to the person. But by the end, he gets fatigued. He gets tired. And so mm -hmm. he'll pick things that are just random. He'll give people like dog food or <laughs> things that have nothing to do with them. But it doesn't matter because it's great to get something for ransom. So I think those two things, being around people and seeing people that I don't normally see and then there being something really fun about yeah, gift giving. Yeah. I think there's also something aesthetic about it too. You know, and there's mm -hmm. just like it's 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 uh it's mixed up with kind of like uh the northern European Scandinavian traditions and, and uh with the with all of the decorations and also, you know, all of these songs, these Christmas hymns which make up I think mm -hmm. some of the best poetry that I'm that I know of. Are you know, Hark the Herald Angels Sing and, and Silent Night and all of these song, songs are, I think, really marvelous works of po poetry. I, I think probably Mary Did You Know and, um, and, and what's the, oh, oh, Come, Oh, Come, Emmanuel are probably my two favorite ones. And I think part of it is just because of this sort of strange eeriness to it. Um, I don't know exactly how to, to say it, but there's a hauntingness that you get with those songs that are played in the minor key and you feel this kind of anticipation of something great about to happen. Well, I love how you can tell aesthetically the difference between an Advent song and a Christmas song just by listening to it without even hearing the words you would know because Advent songs are so mysterious yeah, and yeah. have a sense of longing to them and then Christmas songs are so exciting and triumphant and not mysterious there's a sense of something real and tangible coming into the world versus the the mystery that's involved in right well you've got you have both of those emotions those two kinds of qualities that are sort of mixed up in the whole holiday tradition existing together you have these extremely like jolly jubilant songs and you also have these very quiet haunting songs and both of those are they're very positive emotions. They're nice emotions to have. And you get to have those things together. And I think part of also another thing that I like about Christmas that I think everyone really likes about Christmas is that it really is a holiday of contrast. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, I was just talking the other day with my friend about how, you know, you know, it's not really that great to have a holiday in the summer. I mean, holidays, and you know, got 4th of July. That's an American thing, right? But, you know, having a holiday at the middle of the summer when it's like you're already happy because it's the summer and you're, you know, mm -hmm. what's a holiday? You go and do things that you were probably already going to do on the weekend anyway because it's the middle of summer. So there's no, it's not quite as special. So there is something about like having a holiday at the dead of winter you know, at the at the bleakest yeah. point that makes a holiday what it is. And, you know, traditionally, it's like, you know, back when we had to worry about the harvest, right? We have we store we get we, we have to store up all the food for the for the winter. Right. And this is the point of the, the point where we need to be the most sparing with our food. And this is when we eat the most. We eat sugar and make heat. It's almost like a rebellion against the elements. 
because yeah, well, yeah, it's the you know the shortest time of the year, and we're going to like make as much light and joy and jubilance that we possibly can. And so, you think about like what exactly would you be? Would it be like what would what would December be like if there was no Christmas in it? And it would just be depressing. So in some sense, I think Christmas is kind of a, a necessity. You know, we need to sort of buoy up the spirits and then we can pass through a time of year which would ordinarily just be sort of bleak and hopeless um, and kind of sail through it without without a whole lot of um, without all of the that, that unnecessary pain. One thing that struck me while you were talking is that lots of people deal with seasonal affective disorder which is a super real thing in part because of vitamin D deficiencies like the fact that in the dead of winter, you there's no sunlight, and so you don't have any vitamin D. Um, and it's really easy to get sad or low energy or just not feel like the same person that you are during the summer when you have lots of vitamin D and you're really energetic and productive. And it is really interesting to me that so much of the aesthetic of Christmas surrounds lights. There's lots of light. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like you're creating light when sunlight is really hard to come by. So I think that's interesting. The other thing I wanted to say is that um, another interesting fact about Christmas is that it is in itself a Mars Hill. It's a reclaiming of a pagan tradition because December 25th is the date of the Roman Saturnalia, which is a holiday celebrating the Roman god Saturn, which obviously (laughs) not a Christian holiday and it's traditionally a pagan festival. But then Christians took that celebration and even some of the traditions or the ideas behind that celebration and they took that and they made it, this is now the celebration of Christ coming into the world. This is now a celebration of the incarnation. So Christmas is inherently a Mars Hill of a pagan yeah, holiday. Yeah, I know. And I think, that's, I think that is another reason why like, there's something so like, fascinating about Christmas is because it, it contains so much. It's, it has such a rich like, history and, um, and, and so many things like, just kind of come together at that, at that point. And and this I ask you this question. This is actually relevant to um, our our uh, Mars Hill topic today because uh, what we're doing today. No way. <laughs> yes, uh, I did <laughs> ask this for a reason because um, the song that we're going to be discussing is Simon and Garfunkel's 1970 song "Bridge Over Troubled Water." Um, an extremely beloved song. I think it's been covered by at least 50 artists since it was released. It was released in the album Bridge on Over Troubled Water. It was written by uh, Paul Simon, and Paul Simon is usually the lyricist for most of these songs. So uh, Paul Simon's sort of the the sort of the, the 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 sort of brains, I guess you could say. And Art Garfunkel is the person who really brings this to to light. So if you if you listen to the song, then you know, you probably actually, I think you probably, it's better to watch Art Gar- Garfunkel perform this live than to listen to the recording. Um, I like his performance better than the recording. Um, but anyway, that's that's a matter of opinion. How does this song speak to you, Sophie? What What is it about? Do you have any kind of like um, personal relationship or history with this song? Two thoughts there. The first one, just in terms of my, so I grew up on Simon and Garfunkel because my grandpa really liked it, or they really, he really liked Simon and Garfunkel, and had gotten my mom 
into them. And so that was just kind of the soundtrack of my childhood. It would play all the time. And so this was one of the songs that just kind of played in the background. And I always thought that the the line of the song was, uh, like a bridge over troubled water, I will lay thee down. So I thought it was the exact opposite of what it actually is. I thought it was, I'm going to lay you down as a bridge over troubled water. <laughs> Which is clearly not what the song is actually about. And then it wasn't until more recently than I care to admit that I <laughs> learned that that was not actually uh, what the song was. I also learned, in addition to the background information that you were just giving, a really interesting story about the recording of the song. Is that, obviously, like you said, Paul Simon wrote it. And that he asked Art Garfunkel to sing it solo because he thought that Garfunkel was going to have the better voice for it. Simon had sung the demo track for the song, and Garfunkel said, well, no, I think your falsetto is better, like, I want you to do it. And Paul Simon kind of insisted and said, no, I want you to sing the song. And so Garfunkel said, okay, fine, I'll do it. And when they recorded it, it's just Garfunkel singing it solo, with Paul Simon adding, like, some harmony on the last verse. But then later, so years later, when around 1970 they broke up before they before that happened as their relationship kind of started to get worse um paul simon started to regret letting garfunkel sing the song solo because it had become so popular and everybody sort of viewed it as garfunkel's song and there's this quote from simon where he said when he was describing this he said he felt i should have done it and many times on a stage though when i'd be sitting off to the side and Larry Knechtel would be playing the piano, and Artie would be singing Bridge. People would stomp and cheer when it was over, and I would think, that's my song, man. Which is so heartbreaking and so sad, especially for a song that's about sacrifice and friendship. So that, I think, is some helpful, pertinent information before diving into the song itself. Yeah, yeah. Well, Paul Simon was a, he was a pretty depressed fellow. Uh and I think that's probably why he he wrote such great songs, though. Um, but anyway, yeah. it's interesting that you 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 bring up um, the this it's me instead of thee because when you look at the lyrics, it seems that he's addressing the speaker is addressing someone in the second person you, and then the chorus is I will lay me down, which uh, is interesting. But anyway, here are the here are the lyrics. But it says. When you're weary, feeling small, when tears are in your eyes, I will dry them all. I'm on your side. Oh, when times get rough and friends just can't be found, like a bridge over troubled water, I will lay me down. Like a bridge over troubled water, I will lay me down. And it's such an extremely simple picture, um, which I think is one of the things that really struck me about this song is that Paul Simon considered this to be his best song. And yet, when you compare it with some of his other smash hits, such as Sounds of Silence, the poetry is actually less sophisticated. I mean, there's a lot in Sounds of Silence, there's lots of very interesting imagery, and especially in The Boxer, and, you know, there's there's sort of like, you know, he, he writes like these long ballads with all of these uh, fascinating kind of metaphors that sort of pop out at you. But mm-hmm. compared to some of these other songs, the verses in Bridge Over Troubled Water is relatively simple, even you could say to the point of being bland. I mean, 
it's not really a complicated song. It's like when you're feeling down, I'll lift you up. You know, when you're when you're not feeling good, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll help you feel better. So why is it that he considered such a simple song to be his greatest? I think part of it is that he's thinking about it as a whole aesthetic, all of it together. It isn't just the poetry or just the music or something. It's a whole experience. You really have to listen to the song as an experience because he starts and it's so soft and the music is so soft behind him and then it builds and builds and builds until the instrumental at the end sort of sounds like a, the finale of a musical or something. It's really intense and vibrant um, and the instrumentation gets so much bigger and swells at the end underneath the final chorus which changes the lyrics from like a bridge over troubled water i will lay me down to like a bridge over troubled water i will ease your mind and without that i think it's hard to really understand the song um but so i don't think there's it's just also, a matter of there's also that interesting switching right i will lay me down and then it goes back to i will ease your mind so it's like it's mm-hmm. it's a bridge it's something that benefits both of the speakers whoever it is like I'm building this bridge over troubled water for you and also for me. I was just going to say, I'll be honest that I I don't think these lyrics are that great. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think they're fine. I think the line, like a bridge over troubled water, I will lay me down is great. And everything else is just kind of, okay, I believe that you wrote this quickly. And he did. Like, it sort of just all came to him and he wrote it down and he was kind of done. And that makes sense to me. I get that. I don't think it's that brilliant in terms of writing. But the concept of... When you are having a difficult time, when you have to cross troubled water. So you're having to go through some sort of time in your life that is going to be difficult. I am going to let you walk over me. (laughs) I'm going to be the one that's closer to the troubled water. I'm going to let you step on me. And that's what the friendship is. Because it could just be... Oh my gosh, I can't believe I didn't see that before. Now it all makes sense. (laughs) Oh wow, I feel... Oh, he's the bridge. What? Oh! <laughs> what did you think you were saying? I don't know. I don't know. I was thinking about, like, what is going on? With the, I will lay me down. I was... Okay, wow. Thank you. For... This is why you have to bring me in to do the close reading. <laughs> yes, thank you for explaining that. Okay. Go, go, go on. <laughs> the song is about friendship, but what the song says that friendship is, is... the sacrifice of self that I am going to not walk along beside you, which is the typical image of friendship that we get, right? The idea of friendship is someone's going through something difficult, so you're going to participate in it with them. You're going to go with it, or you're going to go through it with them and walk alongside them, or even carry them. Um, Obviously, the Lord of the Rings... Sam saying, I can't carry the ring for you, Mr. Frodo, but I can carry you. And he puts Frodo on his back. That's another really common image of friendship that we get is either carrying the friend or walking with the friend. But this is kind of an unusual visual image of friendship, which is, I am not going to walk alongside you. I'm going to let you walk on me. (laughs) I am stationary. You're the one walking. You're the one making it across this thing, but you're going to walk on me to do it. Um because that's how I'm going to protect you. It's a, that's visually a really interesting view of what friendship is. Um, and I think that's what makes 
the image last. I think that's what makes the song really good and powerful is not so much the verses, which are just fine. I, I agree, and I was going to say the same thing because that's actually how he composed the song. He was just like that one line he was he was talking about, you know, composing the song, and he said that one line came into his head, like a bridge over troubled water, I will lay me down. And it was like, he's like, I love that. I love that line. And then just kind of like the rest of it kind of, you know, is just sort of to, to fill that idea. And so it is true that the... The best thing about this song is that one line. I mean, that's what the focus yep. is. And I think he's deliberately making that the focus to say, I want you to really contemplate this image of of a bridge over troubled water. And they also, it was also intended only to be two verses. Um, that's why I was looking at the the third verse and I was thinking like, sail on silver girl. Like where, where in the world did this silver girl came from? Well, it suddenly becomes so abstract. Like, the whole thing is so concrete. And then suddenly it's like, Silver Girl, what does that mean? Yeah. And he didn't like it. He wrote it and Garfunkel was like, you need a third verse. And he wrote it and Paul Simon didn't like it, but he had to include it. Yeah, yeah. So I was wondering, like, hmm, you know, maybe there's something going on here. But then you realize, oh, it's just because he wasn't even intending to write a third verse. (laughs) And so that's why it doesn't doesn't fit in. Um, So, yes, we, we are meant to focus on this image of of a bridge over troubled water. What I think is so interesting about why, I was thinking about like, why does this image of the bridge over troubled water, why is it that that speaks to to Paul Simon so much? Like he considers this to be his best song, but really it's like, it's his best line, right? Because it mm-hmm. captures something that he's he's striving to always say with his art. And so you go back over like his other songs and it's like, okay, how is, how, how can you extract like the theme of his lyrics and find something that, that, that communicates this emotion? Like, in what other ways has he attempted to communicate this emotion? And I think that a really good clue, I mean, this uh, into, into Paul Simon's mind uh, actually came four years ago in his uh, 1966 album, Parsley, Sage, Rosemary, and Time, in which they, he came up with this song um, that I think thematically is very similar to this idea. And the title of the song is Seven O'Clock News slash Silent Night, I think is what it is. Or um, And the, the way the song goes is that it's Simon and Garfunkel singing a cover of Silent Night juxtaposed with a newscast of the 7 o'clock news. And this was happening during the the height of the Vietnam War. There was a lot of social unrest. And so um, it's a really uh, haunting song, and and it's a very beautiful song. Um, And it covers a lot of, of, like, serious events that were happening at that same time. Well, because it's also the height of the civil rights movement. Right, the civil rights movement. So he talks about the civil rights movement. They talk about, uh, you know, some local news. A comedian, Lenny Bruce, died of what was believed to be an overdose of narcotics. So they announced that. We talk about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Um, and uh, uh, we talk about some uh, murder. There were nine student nurses who were, who were murdered. And then we have um, Richard Nixon, anti-Vietnam War protests. All of this happens. And then it concludes. At the same time, the song ends. You hear the announcer say, that's the 7 o'clock edition of the news. Good night. 
And, you know, you can look a lot, you can kind of interpret that in a lot of different ways if it's supposed to be some kind of like satire, social commentary or something, or just merely showing the fact that, you know, at this time, you know, we have this holiday season of Christmas where we sing these beautiful lyrics, you know, of this, of this, of this magnificently uh, haunting, beautiful song. And at the same time, all of these things are going around in the world. And those two things have to exist at the, at the same time. So there's a deliberate like juxtaposition of, of opposites going on. And also artistically, the mix of the track purposely clashes with the piano accompan- accompaniment uh, mixed solely to the left channel and the news solely to the right channel while the vocals remain in the middle, which I think is really interesting. Um, if you listen to it like with earphones on, you can listen to hear the music on one side and the in the um, seven o'clock nudes on the other. And so you can choose which one you're going to listen to because you can't listen to both at the same time. Um, you know, if you're listening to the the silent night, then you, you don't really process the, the, the news. If you're listening to the news and the silent night is kind of in the background. Um, but I think that that, that really captures the kind of idea that I think Paul Simon really wanted to drive in. Like, this was his essential message. And that is that, you know, human beings can be both angels and animals at the same time. They're capable of creating these beautiful things and also doing all of these um, shameful things, things that we'd rather not um, admit are attributed to us um, as human beings. And I think that Part of the reason, and I'm speculating here, but maybe part of the reason why why he thought Bridge Over Troubled Water was his favorite song that he wrote is because it's what Silent Night meant to him. In fact, when, when Paul Simon was asked um, if there was one song that he wished he had written himself, he replied, Silent Night. That was the one song he wished he had written himself. And so that tells you a lot. You know, like this song spoke to him personally. And so I guess you could say that um, Bridge Over Troubled Water is his silent night. You know, like that's how he can he's processing it, you know. So you look at like the lyrics of Silent Night and Paul Simon, he didn't listen to Silent Night in isolation to itself, you know, as a beautiful song, although he did. He did appreciate it for a beautiful as a beautiful song. But he was also listening to it while listening to the seven o'clock news, right? There was there was like this beautiful thing that's going on, and then there's also this this contrast of of dissonance and ugliness that's happening at the same time, and and then he's right there in the middle, you know, he's the trek right there in the middle, and so you know this seven o'clock news silent night with the with the voice being in the middle you know with the music on the right hand the news on the other hand like that's the bridge right that's the bridge over troubled water it's like it's the same idea i think part of what well okay so you whenever you have a song or a poem because they're the same thing (laughs) um that addresses you addresses like has a speaker and is speaking to someone you have to ask the question, who's speaking? Is the singer speaking as themselves or as someone else? And who are they addressing? And you could say, so when people have interpreted the song, there's the line, sail on silver girl. And 
Apparently Silver Girl is referring to Paul Simon's wife at the time because she was starting to get gray hairs and all that. And so you could say the whole song's addressed to her, but probably not because that's the verse that he didn't want to write, <laughs> right? So that just kind of got thrown in there. I think it's more interesting to think about the song speaking to the audience of the song. It's just to anyone and everyone who listens to it, to those who listen to Simon and Garfunkel's music rather than to a specific person. And then if the speaker is Paul Simon himself, um, then that opens the door to an interpretation that says he's really saying something about the purpose of art, the purpose of making music at all, which is I am offering myself and my music, my art, as a bridge over troubled water for you that you are going to walk over. And the image of the bridge is so important because it's sustaining, it's something solid over water, which is turbulent and you sink in it, right? You can't walk on water. I mean, Jesus can, <laughs> and he can make Peter walk on water. Mm -hmm. But for everyone else, uh, we don't walk on water. So walking on a bridge is the way that we get across it. And so to think about it as Paul Simon is saying, art or my music is the solid bridge that you're going to walk across when you are going through something difficult, I think resonates with me because when people go through something difficult, often it is a particular song or a particular artist that gives them meaning and the motivation to get through the thing that they're getting through. Um, so I think there's something really true and meaningful about right, that idea. Yeah. And I think that that's also, so again, that's just like, this is why I said this is very relevant, relevant to Christmas, uh, because I think that that really is, I think that's why people like Christmas for people who like Christmas. I mean, not everyone likes Christmas, but most people, most people like Christmas. And it was just like we were talking about before. It's like, how do you get through winter, right? So Christmas, yeah. it's a bridge. It's a bridge across winter. You know, it's a bridge across the frozen lake. And it, it kind of just sort of works as a salve, I guess, to that to that period of time. Um, and I think that that's, that's so interesting that, you know, Christians decided to Mars Hill Christmas in the way that they did. Um, because we know... Like the uh, we've the the arc the archaeological evidence or the scholarly evidence all points to that the the idea that that Jesus was actually born in June. So you know, of course, everyone's like, well, you know, Jesus was actually born in June. This is not historically accurate or something. It's like okay, but there's a reason why we decided we're going to Mars Hill Christmas and make this about the birth of Jesus. We decided we're going to celebrate his birth. In winter, we're not going to celebrate it in June because it's significant that we are deciding mm -hmm. that Jesus is going to be born right here in the, in the dead of winter. And that is because it's also, it's also a holiday. It's that holiday of extremes where, you know, the greatest possible thing that could happen to the human race happened all the way down. Like no matter how you look at the Christmas story, it all comes down to as opposite as you can get it is as polar opposite you get the shortest time of year the farthest from the sun you know the greatest person in the world born in the lowliest of conditions it's very much a holiday of extremes and i think that's why it's so emotionally moving um and mm -hmm. um and and so i think yeah there i think there is something going on about 
you know, the way we like meditate and the way we think about Christ's births, we should think about it in terms of winter, in terms of humankind, you know, you know um, uh, going through a, a winter of the soul till he came and the soul felt its worth. And, you know, a thrill mm-hmm. of hope in the weary world rejoices. I think that's just so, um, it's so perfect. Um, but I also, you know, I, I think that also tells us a lot about, like, um, why, why C.S. Lewis I- I insisted on, you know, telling the story of Narnia, you know, and associating it with Christmas. Because, you know, when C.S. Lewis was writing The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, he was criticized by all his friends, especially Tolkien, for mixing up mythologies and all of that sort of thing. And especially, Tolkien could not understand at all why he decides he's going to include Santa Claus, you know, in this mythological world um, and mixing in all of these holidays. Like, what, why is it that he wants to bring Christmas into it? What is it about this idea that there's, you know, you have... Always winter, but no, never Christmas, which is what the spell that Narnia is under. And I think part of it is because he understood the significance, at least the symbolic significance, of what Christmas was, right? That you're in a hundred years winter, mm-hmm. and there's no bridge for you to, to cross over. I think it's important that Jesus comes into a world that needs to be saved, <laughs> And that can be easy to forget that the world is not the world he enters into, the time he enters into, he doesn't wait for that time to be ready. He doesn't wait for things to be better. He comes into the worst of the worst, <laughs> the worst place in the worst time. There's another song, another Christmas song. So, Oh Holy Night, there's the verse about the slave is our brother and in his name all oppression shall cease. And that song, O Holy Night, was written in 1843, so two years before the start of the Civil Civil War. So O Holy Night is an abolitionist song, mm. right? And it's taking the incarnation, the birth of Christ, and pointing out that Christ is born into a world with slaves. Uh, Christ is born into a world with oppression, He's born into a world that actually has more oppression, more slavery than it does now. And in Christ's name, slavery had begun to be abolished all over the world. And that was a process. It had been happening slowly, but it was happening and it was happening in his name. And so to say in O Holy Night, the slave is our brother and in his name all oppression shall cease, is saying that process is still continuing. That Christ came into a world with slavery he came into a world with, I mean, he came into the world and Herod immediately <laughs> massacred all the little boys trying to find Christ. Like, he comes into a really violent world, but he comes anyway. And he comes because the world is violent. Uh, because the healthy don't need a doctor <laughs> and the healers for the sick. So that I think is what you're saying is true. That Christmas is, putting Christmas in winter is symbolizing that. This is God coming into the world, God becoming human, when the weather and the light situation and people's spirits are all at their lowest. The days are the shortest that they're going to be. Deaths are the highest. More people die in the winter than other seasons in the year. Um, 
that's the time that Christ is going to come into. And there's, there, there's actually, you know, like, um, there's definitely like a very long-standing tradition in 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 Christian Christian-based literature that's focused on that idea of 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 winter and ice. I mean, of course, notwithstanding Dante, who made an extremely iconoclastic picture of hell where the ninth layer of hell is is ice is cold um which kind of like that that sort of blew my mind the first time i heard it i don't know where we got the idea that hell was hot um i don't i I actually i don't really know what where that emerged from um because all the way back in you know like the the 11th century we were or i what 13th century you know dante was saying the hell is ice well, I think that Christ says you'll be thrown into the everlasting fire. Oh, okay. Where there is wailing and gnashing of teeth, so it's probably okay. from that. Yeah. That, oh well. No. It, it. Oh, it most definitely is from that. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that makes sense. So there's lots. You know, there's different. There's different images and there's different ways to evoke, um, evoke the story, um, and and that's one of them is is to think about hell as being ice, a place where, where all motion seizes that's another idea because you know when 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 something freezes when ice freezes that's the uh there's it only freezes because the molecules and atoms and molecules are are not moving you know they're they're becoming less and less active to the point where you can actually you can actually get to a place called like absolute zero where particle matter seizes all motion which I thought that blew my mind when I learned that in high school that you know that there is a place um you know things can get hotter and hotter and hotter infinitely but p- things can't get colder and colder infinitely I think that's a really fascinating I think that's just that's such an intriguing idea that things can only get so cold but mm-hmm. things can get um infinitely hotter who knew that science could be optimistic? Well, it's like um, it's like the Great Divorce, where hell is very small. Hell can only get so big, but heaven is infinitely yeah. big. Yeah. Where was I going with that? <laughs> I don't know. To connect that back to bridge over troubled water a little bit. Yeah, thanks um, for building because... the bridge for me. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> I got you. It's... Because it really, I mean, obviously it's not a song that's intentionally about Christmas, but it is a song that's very clearly about friendship. And I think there is a connection, though, because Jesus comes into the world to be a friend to humanity. He calls us friends. And he comes to lay himself down as a bridge over troubled water. And he comes into, he comes when the world is darkest. He comes when the days are shortest to be a friend, to lay himself down as a bridge over troubled water. Um, so the song in saying, I will be your friend by laying myself down, by sacrificing myself for you, allowing you to walk on me, it's taking the model of Christ's friendship as the model for friendship. In order to be a good friend to you, I'm going to act as Christ did, which I think is really fascinating. Yeah, and um, and also you think about how uh, you know how do you get that sort of like emotional catharsis that you're looking for, 
and you don't get it uh, by uh, by by sentimentalism by by writing feel good songs really, which is I think what a lot of modern artists try to do. You know, either they're going to be you know just like extremely depressing, you know, uh, and nihilistic because they just they see art as sort of an itch that they're that they need to scratch. You know, they don't care about infusing hope in it. Or they try to just put a, just kind of like couch everything in cotton candy and good feelings. But it's very rare that you see an artist who's willing to, to bring both together at the same time in, in a single image. Because I think that part of that is it's more painful uh, to, to do that. To admit that the world is both uh, beautiful and good and extraordinarily evil at the same time. Um, and, and the fact that you have to say, you know, you have to go through this, this period of, of darkness when darkness is, surrounds you and pain is all you know. You have to go through that first before you get to that line, that, that, that sacrificial comfort where the speaker says, like a bridge over troubled water, that, that, that line which Simon, uh, Paul Simon found so beautiful, um, you have to go through that painful process first. And I think that's also why um, I think for a lot of people, a lot of people decide that they're going to um, reject, reject Christianity on what grounds? Well, it's always the problem of evil, right? It's always... How can we accept something that is so good um, in the midst of a world that's so bad? And I think that, you know, people have always try, are always trying to, like, solve the problem of evil in Christianity. But what they don't really address is that Christianity kind of creates the problem of evil. It doesn't solve it. So I don't think you're going to use, going to be able to solve the problem of evil with Christianity because it is, that is, the, the problem of evil wouldn't exist. I mean, because only in this story do you have something that is so infinitely resplendent and life-giving juxtaposed. I mean, it's the fact that it's so great, that it's so great. It is the greatest thing is what makes the contrast to the darkness of the world, you know? And other stories, they don't create the problem of evil because they don't reach that high. They don't give you that vision of, of heaven that is so, like, complete and total. Um, so the fact that you can, like, you know, it, it, they, they explain the phenomenon of the world, you know? Life is suffering, Desire is suffering. Get away, you know, and you need to solve that problem somehow. You need to reconcile it. Um, instead of giving us this promise that, like, you know, our present sufferings are nothing compared to the weight of glory that awaits us. And people hear that story and they say, uh, well, that just makes things worse for me, you know. So <laughs> I think, you know, people would be like, well, they, they wouldn't, don't want to hear an optimistic story because, you know, or an idealistic story because then it just reminds them of their own situation. But then again, like that's the price. Like, do you want that, that line? That, do you want that bridge over troubled, troubled water? Do you want that sort of solace? If you do, you have to, you have to accept this contrast.
going back to the idea that this is fundamentally a song about friendship, about what it means to be a good friend, that you don't really know who your true friends are until you enter into adversity, until you encounter some sort of difficulty. There are lots of people who will stick by you if things are really good, but then when you encounter something really difficult, you find out who's really your friend. And you don't ever really find out who your friend is unless you go through something difficult, right? So you have to go through adversity in order to truly experience Yeah, I friendship. think that's the whole mistake that I think the sort of Aristotelian view of the good life, I think that's where the, it's, it's just wrong. Because, I mean, like, there's an idea that you need to have all of your basic needs met um, before you create good art. That, you know, art is sort of born out of uh, luxury and and civilization and, um, and and financial security, that you need to have all of that before you can sort of indulge in, in the aesthetic. At least that's the idea, but that's like, historically, that's just not true. And most of the greatest works of art are, are uh, made in deprivation, um, just mm-hmm. as, you know, the savior of humanity came in, in, in deprivation. Like, that's when the greatest things happen. And sort of, ironic in a very in a very sad way that part of what uh, actually ended up tearing the relationship apart between Paul Simon and Art Garfunkel uh, was not deprivation, it was success. The other thing I was going to say, and this kind of pushes back a little bit, just maybe adds a little bit of nuance to what you were saying about the problem of evil. I do think it's important that the image in the song is a bridge, and bridges come to an end, right? Rivers or whatever you're crossing with a bridge, is not an endless body of water. There is no body of water that is endless. Um, So there is a time before you reach the bridge where there isn't adversity or there isn't troubled water. And that's a good thing, right? That's not bad. And then because there's troubled water, you can have the bridge. (laughs) Because there's troubled water, you get this art that is beautiful. Or you get this image of what a true friend is. Or you get Christ coming into the world. But also, the bridge ends, right? In his name, all oppression shall cease. The troubled water has to come to an end. The need for a bridge has to come to an end. Or else it's not really a bridge. It's just a bunch of wood, right? So it's true that you need adversity to have the bridge. But also there has to be something better and more beautiful than the bridge or else there's no point to it (laughs) there's no point in having the bridge you can't just have adversity or darkness paired with light eventually you have to have only light or else there is never any light to begin with if that makes sense (laughs) all that can be shaken will be shaken and only the unshakable remains that's right as c.s lewis would say (laughs) yeah so so uh we're at the we're at the, the the dead of winter and we have uh uh, a, a little bit more of a path ahead of us, a little bit more trekking to go before uh, spring returns to us. And so we hope that uh, this podcast will, this podcast episode gives you that that uh, jump ahead, that bridge. That bridge over troubled water. That was, our, that was our goal today in this podcast. So we hope maybe we've accomplished that goal. You know, I've, uh, I've, uh, I I can I've 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 memorized all of Robert Frost's uh, uh, "Stopping by Woods by a Snowing Evening." I have that's one of my poems I have entirely in my head. So, but I also I, think about 
I think that think about that 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 poem a lot during this time of year. I also have memorized that whole poem, but I don't know that I would be able to say it. Start okay, okay, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna say it. Okay, you look it up, and I want you to check and see if I'm if I'm on track. Okay. Okay, one second. Stopping by woods on a snowy evening. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, don't interrupt me if I do it wrong. Just just tell me afterwards. Okay. okay. Whose woods these are, I think I know. His house is in the village, though. He will not mind me stopping here to see his woods fill up with snow. My little horse might think it queer to stop without a farmhouse near, between the woods and frozen lake, the darkest evening of the year. He gives his harness bell a shake to ask if there is some mistake. The only other sounds the sweep of easy wind and downy flake. The woods are lovely, dark and deep, but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep and miles to go before I sleep. Amazing. Did I miss anything? Great work. Uh, A couple words here and there, but nothing that really changed anything. Oh, great. Okay. Well... The woods are lovely, dark, and deep, and uh, we have miles to go before we sleep. Miles to go before we sleep. Merry Christmas, everyone. Bon appetit. Happy Turkey Day. Uh, That's a new one, but I don't know. Some of you guys eat turkey. (laughs) (laughs) Merry Christmas, everybody. You've been listening to Unreliable Narrators, a Mars Hill podcast. Unreliable Narrators is an original podcast produced by Stoa alumni. You can subscribe to our podcast wherever podcasts can be found. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit our website at unreliablenarratorspodcast.wordpress.com or write to us at unreliablenarratorsstoa at gmail.com. This podcast is produced by Raymond Okapil and Sophie Klomperens, and our theme song is No... Oh, nope. <laughs> and our theme song is New Moon by Caleb Klomperens. In our next episode, we'll be discussing Oscar Wilde's 1890 novel, The Picture of Dorian Gray. Until then, friends. Uh, wait, we didn't write an outro joke. Yeah, we'll cross it bridge when we get to it. We did get... Never mind. I know you can see something inside The one part of me that I cannot hide And maybe it's true that nothing is new I can see so much more in you There are no new words under the sun There are no new chords that string